If you are looking for books from the 15th century, or the very first copy of the Whitman Wire, or photos of Walla Walla during the Second World War, you can find all of them on campus in the exact same place, the Northwest Archives, located on the first floor of the Penrose Library. You're listening to the Whitman Wire podcast. I am Afishaya. This week, I set out to find out a bit more about the archives. They were a little bit mysterious to me at first. Before recording this episode, I barely knew anything about it. In fact, I had never been there before, but I learned that the archives are more accessible than I first thought. First, I sat down with Ben Murphy, the archivist and head of digital services, and Dana Brunson, associate archivist, to learn some basics and learn more about the history of the archives. So thanks for joining us for the interview today. Would you like to tell us about yourself? Sure. My name is Ben Murphy. My title is Archivist and Head of Digital Services. I work in the Whitman College and Northwest Archives, which are housed in Penrose Library. I've been at Whitman for eight years, uh, a little over eight years. I worked in a different position in the library before moving down into the archives. I was actually a religious studies major in college. Um, so it's not necessarily like a clear trajectory from studying religion to, to libraries and archives, but I always kind of approached that field from a historical perspective and was in a graduate program in religious studies. Had a couple of other different jobs in libraries and decided to get a master's degree in library information science. So what drew me to the field, I guess, is interest in history, but also working with unique collections is just always very exciting. And I like the experience of exposing students to those unique materials as well. It can be a very fun process as well as a intellectually rewarding process. So that's kind of a good aspect of our job. So that is short version of what led me here, I think. My name is Dana Bronson, and I'm the Associate Archivist here with Ben in the Archives. I've been here for close to five years now, which is hard to believe. And I kind of got my start in archives by working in the archives where I went to college in Portland. I also worked in a museum archive downtown Portland. And I feel like, you know, just kind of the way that archives can be used as sources of accountability and also sources of inspiration was really exciting to me. So I decided to continue on to grad school. I went to school in Boston. And then when I was in Boston, I had kind of a chance to work in a lot of different settings like government archive, institutional archives, college university archives, and just really enjoyed being back on campus working with students. So that's a little about you. What can you tell me about the archives themselves? How long have they been here? That's a little bit more of a complicated (laughs) question than you would. uh, (laughs) It sort of depends on what we mean by archives. So feel free to jump in. Sure. There was one archivist at Whitman, his name was Michael Paulus, but he he wrote an article that kind of dated the beginning of the archives in 1907, I believe, which is when Myron Eels passed away. So Myron Eels was the son of Cushing Eels, and he donated his collection of books as well as archival materials, so sort of like family papers and correspondence and letters, as well as some artifact collections he had collected while working as a missionary in the Puget Sound region. So he donated all those materials to the college. who don't know, Cushing Eels was the founder of Whitman College. Yes, that's an important detail, yes. Anyway, Michael Paulus, the former archivist, kind of argued that that was the foundation of what became the archives. Those materials from Meyer and Eels, some of them now reside in the archives, some of them reside in the Maxi Museum, the book collection, some of the book collection is in the general circulating collection, some of it's in the archives. So there was a little bit more overlap, or one might, some might even say confusion between like sort of the distinctions between libraries, archives, and, and uh and museums. So that, that's kind of one potential starting date. And really since that point, 
the college has been sort of collecting historical materials about itself as a college and about the region. In the, in the sort of modern way that we think about archives, another sort of date would be in 1969 when Larry Dodd was hired as the archivist at Whitman. He was sort of the first person hired with that title. And Larry did a lot to really build the archival collections that we have, specifically with collections of the region, which might be a good time to sort of talk about the two parts of our collection, which are college records and the Northwest collection. So I don't know if you want to jump in. Sure. Yeah. So especially when Larry retired kind of in the early 2000s, there was a big push to collect more records about Whitman College, which we had as well. But yeah, there's kind of two distinct collecting areas we have. So we document the history of Whitman College. We have a lot of records from administrative offices on campus. So Office of the President, the Board of Trustees. But kind of one of our favorite parts of our collection is the records that document student life. So not only do we have, you know, the student newspaper, student literary publications, but we also have records from certain student clubs and organizations and affinity groups. The second part of our kind of collecting area is to document the history of the Walla Walla Valley. There is not a historical society in town, so we've always kind of served that function for the community. And in fact, you know, right now we're closed because of COVID to, to outside members, but during kind of our typical open time, more than half of our visitors every year are from outside of the Whitman community. So you'll find a lot of people from Walla Walla coming in to do research with our collections. And those collections are pretty broad. They kind of go back to the first missionaries in the region. We have papers and diaries from the Whitmans um, up through women's organizations, records from businesses, clubs, societies throughout the 19th and 20th century, up through kind of more contemporary organizations today like the wine industry. So there's kind of a lot that encompasses that part of our collection. So there's a lot of content. Can you quantify it? How many items approximately are included in both of those collections? It's a difficult question. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we have a fully updated figure, but how we often quantify things in archives is thinking about linear feet of space that they take up. So we don't typically sort of count individual documents or individual photos or, or sort of the things that exist inside collections, but in terms of the space that the collections take up, it's about 5,000 linear feet, a linear foot being about the size of like a like a banker size box like that. And in addition to archival materials, we have also about 5,000 rare books that for reasons due to their age or condition or, or value are housed in the archives as opposed to the general circulating collection of the library. I think one thing I'll add about that too, when, when students first come down here, I think they're a little bit confused because you know they can't see our collections. They come into the, the reading room here and there are some books in there as part of kind of our general reference collection and I think they think that's the extent of the archives. But all of our collections are kind of stored in a secure climate controlled vault that only staff have access to. So it kind of makes it a little bit more mysterious what's going on <laughs> back there. <laughs> And there are more than books in the archives, like what kind of materials are there? So primarily it's other kinds of printed or written sorts of records. So unlike a museum, we don't have a lot of like three-dimensional objects or artifacts, but we have some. But the kinds of things you'll find in archives are often unpublished materials, so letters or diaries, correspondence. Basically, the, the materials that a, a person or business or family or the kinds of things that Dana was mentioned about, you know, social groups or churches or whatever the entity is, archives consist of all the different kinds of documents that that person or entity would produce in the course of going about their life and work. So you'll find in organizational records like meeting minutes or financial records or research materials that somebody's compiled about a particular topic. So it's distinct from like a library insofar as, you know, lots of libraries have this, might have the same 
copies of the same book held by lots of different libraries, but materials and archives tend to be unique. So that's why kind of Dina was talking about the storing them in the vault. They require special storage and handling considerations because they are irreplaceable in many cases. How do how do items end up in the archive? Yeah, so it, it can really depend. Often we will be contacted by a prospective donor who maybe has records from their family who lived in Walla Walla for a long time, or photographs from a business that's gone out, you know, that no longer exists, or they found something at a yard sale. It kind of really varies. From there, we kind of undergo a process called appraisal, where we'll work with the donor to figure out more about the collection, whether it fits within kind of our collection development policy. Is it something that researchers are going to use? Is it something that is kind of appropriate to be here as opposed to another archive? Uh, and if we decide that yes, it is, we'll go ahead and kind of transfer the material here and then do a, a process to make sure that it uh, doesn't have mold or pests and is often transferred into kind of housing that will ensure that it can be around for a long time. So that often means acid-free folders, acid-free boxes before kind of going into that, that storage area that I discussed. Occasionally, we will do more proactive active donation seeking as well. So if there's an area that is lacking from our collections, which um, Ben can probably talk more about that, but we will kind of seek out specific donors or collection development ourselves as well. The main way we're doing that primarily right now is through collecting oral histories and interviews. So as opposed to soliciting certain types of donations of physical records, we are thinking about what kinds of voices and histories are well represented in our collections currently and which are not. Can oral history and collecting of interviews be a way to sort of fill in some of those gaps? So we've done some projects related to Whitman as well as to the Walla Walla community in Whitman. The most recent example is the Whitman LGBTQ Oral History Project, which was initiated by a student who wanted to better understand the history of the different LGBTQ, both official and non-official clubs on campus, kind of going back to the late 70s and early 80s. That was the genesis of the project, but it involved to include some other things, so conducting interviews to, to document that history. And then outside of Whitman, although there's a number of Whitman students participating in different ways, we have been working on a couple of different projects to collect interviews with the Latinx community in the Walla Walla region, with immigrant first-generation community members especially, and we're collecting interviews for the first time in Spanish as well as in English. That is a community within Walla Walla history and culture that is not very well represented in our collections, and so that's kind of the effort to improve that. Situation. I'll also just add, too, that the LGBTQ project is available online, so you are all welcome to go to our digital archives and listen to the interviews, and the other interviews that Ben was talking about will be online shortly. Can you elaborate more about the digital archives? How do you choose which material get there? That is a good question. We've had an online presence probably for the maybe the last 10 or 15 years or so. Our current digital archive is called Arminda. It's named after the first professional librarian on campus, Arminda Fix. And we have probably less than 1% of our collections are currently digitized. Increase, it gets bigger every day, but it's not very much. So I think people are surprised at the limited amount of material that's on there. Partly that's because it is very resource intensive to get material online and there's a cost associated with it as well. So we kind of have to sort of prioritize what's gonna be the most useful and impactful to both the Whitman and Walla Walla community when deciding to embark upon a digitization project to put it online. But these interview projects in particular, we've really made a priority to get them up there so that people can listen to them. Yeah, and it's a little bit different with the, the interviews because we're sort of basically just producing a digital file. We're not recording them on a cassette tape or something that we can stick in, in the vault to preserve. So they're sort of what we call born, born digital materials. But I'll just 
add one thing onto Dina's uh, discussion of dig digitizing things too. One example of a large scale digitization project we've done, like one of the largest is we had a couple of years ago had the entire run of the newspaper digitized, what used to be called the Pioneer before it was called the Wire. And I believe that went from 19, uh, 1896 to 2009 mm -hmm. is what we digitized, so over 100 years of newspapers. And we chose to invest that, like, you know, our resources and funds into that because being able to search through the newspaper is a super valuable tool both for us as we're helping people find information as well as for students who are doing any kind of research into the history of the institution. Prior to that, you'd literally have to kind of flip through pages and pages of the newspaper to try to find material relevant to whatever you were looking into. So um, that's an example of something that we thought would have a pretty big impact. Is there a specific goal of the archives? A specific goal? Yeah. I'd say we have many different kinds of goals. Like one part of our mission is to collect and preserve the kinds of things that Dana mentioned related to college history and to regional history. We have a goal to support the curriculum, right? So we work with students who are doing research, but also with faculty members who are teaching courses that kind of sometimes intersect with the history of the region. Sometimes they, they don't, but there's collections that we have that can be useful either way. But I just want to emphasize the role of supporting students because I think it's important to say that archives exist to be used, even though we're a little bit more out of the way and maybe harder to find the material that we have in our collection we want students to come here to use it to handle it study it learn from it incorporate it, that, that material into their projects so we always uh, do want to support uh, students in that way so those are the main two goals I think we can say that we have. As Dana mentioned, we do also serve the, the Walla Walla community, but that has been somewhat diminished during COVID, uh, although we have done a number of virtual questions that have been asked to us through email or things like that. We do some research on behalf of people in the community who aren't currently able to visit us in person. What about, what about students that might not be a history major? Do you think their archives still benefit them? Yeah, I mean, I think you'd be surprised. I have students really from all majors find their way down here, not only for classes, but also for projects. Definitely, you know, history students, but students from the religion department, students from the art and art history department. We have a, a growing collection of artist books that have been really popular in the last couple of years. I recently took some materials over to the science building for a chemistry class. So we really managed to kind of span across the, across the curriculum. We have language classes that come occasionally. We just had a French class last yeah. week. We have politics classes, uh, anthro, lots of art history. And I think people, most people think of history first, right? About archives as being about the past. But um, you know, within archives, you will find different kinds of primary sources that are relevant to all these different disciplines, right? So we do try to serve all students. And I think it's also fair to say, or at least it's my opinion that learning how to engage with archival materials as primary sources and thinking about the questions that can be raised by working with these materials and, and sort of honing the ability to ask questions of unique materials, especially things that might be unfamiliar to you. Those kinds of skills are applicable to students across the curriculum, whether or not you're a history major or an English major or even a chemistry major. That being said, we don't have as many students in the sciences as the humanities and social sciences, but it is definitely much broader than, than history. And how many students or professors come here each day? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we'd have to kind of break it down. I, I can tell you that in, in pre-COVID times, we would typically have somewhere between seven to 800 researchers a year come through here. That includes everybody. I would say probably, you know, half are students and faculty. And, you know, in some years are higher than others. If there are students that are doing their thesis using our collections, usually there's a few that are. It kind of depends on what class projects are happening. Like right now, Professor Reynolds, he's doing his art history class, Walla Walla Architecture is happening. So there's a number of students who are down here very frequently working on projects for that. So it kind of varies a bit. Yeah, sometimes we have very busy days and sometimes we have very slow days. In terms of like classes that come here, I think we, we average around like 25 per semester going back the last mm-hmm. couple of years. We've maintained that pretty well through COVID too. Obviously there were several semesters where nobody was coming in here at all, <laughs> but we were doing Zoom sessions and, and other ways of interacting with classes. So that's probably the main way that most students come through this space is through visiting with the class. I'll also add too that in the past couple of years as the new first year seminar courses have been established, that's been a really great collaboration between us and the faculty members who teach those. And I think that that is often students kind of first introduction to the archive coming down here with those classes or us going to visit their classes as well. Is there a specific collection or pieces of documents that you think are very important maybe to you personally or for the community, maybe Whitman or follow on? I mean, I think for me, it always changes what's important to me. I think I get, um, you know, depending on who's coming into the space or what questions were being asked. It can just be sort of exciting to help someone with their research or, or sort of when people can't come in and do research on their behalf. I think it changes for me. I think that's one of the exciting things about working in archives is, you know, we have so much material that you can encounter something new. That being said, to give you some specific <laughs> objects, I work a lot with our rare book collection, which we didn't talk a lot about, but in our book collection, some of the strengths of that collection are finely illustrated texts produced between the 15th and the 19th centuries within that collection, which was, uh, it's called the McFarlane Collection. It was donated by a Whitman alum, Vernon McFarlane, who graduated in the 1920s, and he donated his book collection in the 1970s. He was interested not in a specific type of book, you know, about a particular subject, but just books that had images in them. So it includes illustrated Bibles, some like Greek and Roman books of mythology, travel logs, descriptions of European travel or colonialism, essentially, to uh, other parts of the world. So there's, it's an interesting way to study how the different techniques that were used to produce illustrations in books over time. And I think one of the ones that is one of my favorites and we use the most with students and students often enjoy seeing is it's the oldest printed book that we have. It's called the Nuremberg Chronicle. That's how it's known in English. And it was printed in 1493. So it was like printed during the first 50 years, basically, that the printing press existed in Europe. So that's that's an exciting book that we're lucky to have. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Ben. I think you could work here forever, and every day you would still encounter new things. There's just so so much material. It's it's hard to feel like you're going over the same stuff all the time. But for me, one of my favorite things is we have a lot of scrapbooks from kind of the early 20th century, particularly from Whitman students that I think are really fun to see what campus life looked like during different periods of time. There's a lot of fun ephemera in them from dances and sporting events and things that used to happen. And something that 
students will often come down to the archives and ask about is we do have a Nobel Prize in our collections. As Ben mentioned, we don't have a lot of artifacts, but that is one of the rare ones that we do have, which belonged to a former Whitman grad who then eventually got the Nobel Prize in physics and then came back to teach here. So anyone who wants to come see it and take a picture with our Nobel Prize is always welcome. Can students access all the materials here? Do they need permission from professors or...? Uh, no, like I said before, archives exist to be used if we want students to use our materials. So you can come in without an appointment and you know ask us to see the Nobel Prize and we'll bring it out to you. If you don't know what you're interested in, but you think you want to use archives in some way, we can talk to you about what your research interests are and help you identify what parts of our collections might be relevant to whatever you're thinking about. So not only do you not need permission, we encourage you to come for whatever reason that, that you might have. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we recognize that it can be intimidating to come in here. There are, you know, special handling procedures. There's doors. We're kind of in our own space. So we just want to do everything we can to make students feel comfortable coming in and asking us for help because really it's it's what we're here for. So in this interview, I hear a lot about research. Is there any way to use the archive that is not for you, just research? It's a really good question. That's the most common way, that's just, which is kind of why I, I keep saying that. Um, but we encourage you to come for any reason. So maybe it's just because you're interested or you saw something that your curiosity. We haven't done a lot of examples of this, but I, I think that there's there could be interesting ways that archival materials could be used for different kinds of creative projects. So Dana mentioned our book arts collection. The book arts collection there is sort of basically refers to works of art that utilize or play with the form of the book. So they might be in different physical structures than the typical like codex book that you turn the pages from left to right. So students might come to look at those for their own for creative inspiration for their own art practice. The, the group that I mentioned that is using, that is conducting the interviews with the Latinx community in Walla Walla, we're actually doing that in partnership with a group called the uh, Colectivo de Arte Social, which is kind of a subgroup or collective of the Walla Walla Immigrant Rights Coalition. And one of their guiding sort of goals or objectives is to not only conduct and archive the interviews, but to use those interviews in creative installations and artworks and things like that. So using the, the interviews as the basis for producing public art. So that's kind of a non-research oriented usage of the archives. And, and certainly I think research can be kind of broadly defined, but students will also come in if they're interested in non-academic topics as well. So if they're in a club or an organization and they want to know more about the history of that, they might come in to kind of learn about that. I feel like every year students, right when they get onto campus, are always kind of trying to get to know this new place they live in, their new home, and might come in to kind of try to do research or look at photographs of particular areas that they're going to be spending the next four years as well. So it doesn't always have to be academic, certainly. That's good to know. <laughs> do you have anything specific do you want to say to the audience? Well, building off that, something that is helpful to know or that we try to communicate to students is that, well, part of our mission is to document student life and culture. We rely on working with students to help us do that. So if you are in a club or an affinity group and you're producing any kind of materials most likely those might be digital materials, but if it's like meeting minutes or photographs of club events or even like membership rosters or things like that, we're always interested in working with student groups to preserve that material. And that can be hard to think about when you're living in the moment as a student, but we do rely on students to help us with that process. So if you are in a club or affinity group and would like to talk to us about preserving any records you have, we're open to that. 
And then also, I'm very interested to support additional projects similar to the LGBTQ oral history project. So even if we don't have a lot of materials relevant to your club, or if you don't, if you're not producing any records that you'd want to maybe deposit in the archives, if you're interested in doing an interview-based project, an oral history project about the history of your club, I think we have resources to support that work, and we're very interested to talk to students who might be interested in doing that. I think it's worth emphasizing too that people often think, oh, you know, my story, the history of my group isn't really worthy of being in the archives, but I think we really want to emphasize that it is worthy of being here and we do want your stories to be captured for, for time so that other students can learn what was happening at this particular moment as well. After speaking to some of the staff who worked there full-time, I thought it would be interesting to talk to a student who works there. I met with sophomore Genevieve Vogel, a student archives assistant, to go over some of her responsibilities. Thanks so much for joining the interview today. Would you like to tell us about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Genevieve. I'm a sophomore. I'm from Brunswick, Maine, and I'm a double major in history and economics. Could you tell us more about the job you have at the library? Yeah, right now I am a student archives assistant, but I used to be a library transcription assistant. So I've kind of grown in my role a bit. I get to really work with the materials more. And right now I'm working on a project to make my own display case in the library. Could you elaborate more about um, your role as a student archives assistant? I work with Dana Bronson in the archives and she oversees what projects I take on. Sometimes I'm going through files, old files from the college, and trying to organize them or trying to make a database of them online. And other times I'm bringing in an accession. And so what happens with that is we have people who donate to the college and then we have to have um, people go through and find out the history of the object or its provenance, and which basically means like who's had it and how it's mm -hmm. passed, been passed down. Um, and then we add to the archive and we make some sort of digital finding aid for it. It's a lot of organizing, a lot of research. I've been learning how to use the software that we use for the archive. It's called Archive Space. And that's been a really beneficial project for me to work on. It's getting to learn hands-on with software. I feel like it's an extension of my classes at Whitman because I'm getting to have a more hands-on history experience. I love being a history major. I take really great, interesting classes, but this feels a bit more like this is a skill that I can learn and apply to future jobs in history. You mentioned your, your own exhibition. Right, so there's a display case um, in the library that is open for me to make my own project. I was able to choose whatever I want to choose about Walla Walla and Whitman to research upon. And so I decided to do a project about World War II in Walla Walla and at the college. And so basically it's mostly a photographic display, photographs from the time the Whitman was a bit of a military training school during the war. And in Walla Walla there was a Walla Walla air base and there was also a prisoner of war camp at the current fairgrounds. So during that time period, there was a lot going on here. And so there's lots of photographs from that time period and different ephemera. And ephemera are kind of like brochures and kind of like disposable artistic goods. And I'm going to take those things all together and put them in a little display case in the library. And that should be up for maybe like a year. And so that's really cool is I get to have a bit of an enduring legacy with this job. I'm finally getting to do my own projects, which is just starting how is for me to like have my own research. And when do you expect for your display case to show up? I'm not quite sure yet. I'm still in the planning stages. I'm designing with the library how I want to look. So we're still in like the designing stage of the project. I'm not quite sure. Is there a specific section of the archives you're working with? I feel like I haven't even seen all of the archives yet, even after working there for a year. I feel like I've barely touched the surface of it, 
even having been there a year. But I would say my favorites right now are the photographs. We have lots of photographs of the college and of students, and we have a great resource of yearbooks from the college. So those are a really fun and easy way to understand what's been happening at Whitman before we came here. So I just like paging through a yearbook even. That's that's enough for me to get really invested in it and feel like I have a bit of a basic understanding of what's been happening here. What do you like most about the archive? I personally find a lot of peace and enjoyment from researching. Just the pure act of researching for me is very therapeutic and nice, and it's very rewarding to feel like I'm working on a project that can help more people understand history. So that's the part that I find great, just the research, personally and for other people, knowing that this will be like an enduring legacy. Because when you're working in the archives, like you're working towards this like collective history making, and it's really a public service in my mind. How much of an impact do you think it is? On, on people, on like in the community? Yes. I think that people don't necessarily understand how much the archives can do for them, not only as a research tool for classes, but because if you have a question about this school or like what it stands for, its legacy, maybe you can't find an answer in the archives, but you can find quite a bit of information about what students were thinking about, what alumni are thinking about, and it helps you be grounded in history. I think like you don't necessarily appreciate it when you're just living about your daily life, but everything here has a history to it, and it didn't magically appear. Like Whitman, as a concept, didn't magically appear. So it's really fun to be able to see, like, hey, like this is where the story of the college is, and this is where we came from. And I find that really important. And we live in this history. I mean, we're the we're parts of it. We're we're like moving into the future. So I think it's really important that people understand what legacies we have. Have you ever used the archives for a class? I've definitely used the archives online for a class because we have obviously Arminda through the library. You can put in um, a search term into the library search box and come up with some different images. There are quite a few collections and photo collections that are already online that you can just browse through at your leisure. So I haven't personally had the opportunity to use archives, even though I use it all the time for my job. So yeah, but I've seen lots of my friends um, come through and really enjoy their time in the archives, getting to page through books. And it's so special to see someone finally have a click in their head, like, hey, like, this is an event that happened, and to like see it is really cool. And how accessible do you think the archives is? Um, the archives is very accessible. You can make an appointment, and I think even if you're not with a class, you can make an appointment and try and visit. In your opinion, what is the coolest thing about the archive? I feel like I can't say like one coolest thing. The people I work with are really great. The people at the archives are so kind and so helpful and so willing to help me learn. And that's the biggest thing I found is they've been really patient with me as I've been learning how to do archive things. Maybe like cool like object-wise, I would say I love like the scrapbooks. There's lots of alums who've donated scrapbooks in their time at Whitman. And so it's fun because it's one person's story and how they saw their time here getting put into a material possession. And, you know, they, they have, like, little drawings and little, like, tidbits of, like, oh, this is my friend. It's kind of a, an outdated thing to make a scrapbook, but it's so sweet that, like, that was important to them then. Do you plan to contribute anything to the archive in the future? Well, hopefully my, my thesis <laughs> when I graduate. I'm hoping to do, like, a history thesis. But I don't know if I'll, I, I probably should donate something to the COVID collection just because that was so major to my experience at Whitman. But I don't know. I don't know if I'll be able to contribute anything. I mean, my contribution, hopefully, is that I've been working there and I'm helping to establish these records more carefully. You mentioned the COVID collection. Do you want to explain more about it? 
Yeah, so during COVID, I think during fall of 2020, the library and the archives were asking people to submit art pieces or photos or really anything at all that kind of would describe their experience or would help contribute to making a collection about the COVID-19 experience for college students and people in Walla Walla. There's like people's like Snapchat stories in there I saw. There's people's like photos of art they did during COVID, during lockdown. There are people's personal little journals of like each day of lockdown. It's pretty small right now, but I'm, I'm sure if people knew about it, they'd like to contribute whatever they were up to during COVID. So it's pretty fascinating to have it like still so recent, but you know, that's what archives are about. They're about like evolving with the times and getting to capture what's important to us and preserving it for other people to research in the future. Can you still contribute to their COVID collection? I think you can. And I mean, if you have some sort of project you want to do, I think the, the archives are very open to students presenting projects that will help diversify the kind of voices that are preserved by the archives. There's, yeah, there's definitely opportunities available for students to use the learning in the classroom, put it in the archives. How is your overall experience with the archives? The archives has been an amazing job. I have grown personally from it. I think the skills I'm learning in the archives will help me. Do you have anything else to say? I mean, archiving can be really tedious work too. It's not always easy. So while it can be really fun, there's a lot of work that goes onto it. And it's not just fun researching all the time, it's also trying to figure out, hey, I had this like crazy box of items that were donated that don't really have a rhyme or reason why they're together. Now I'm trying to find meaning to them. It's not just like putting an item on a shelf and telling people where it is. It's a lot of preparation and preserving and being sure things are stored safely. You can't have things be touching acid or touching things that would make it deteriorate over time. So it's a very careful environment and it comes with a lot of patience and a lot of detail-oriented work. Thank you so much yeah. for the interview today. I hope you Yes, yeah, I'm so happy to, to help out and to be part of it. Thank you for interviewing me. I started out this episode thinking that the archives were something just for historians or people interested in really old books. Through my interview with the archivists who worked there, I found out that the opposite is true. There's something in the Northwest archives for everyone, and it's pretty easy to access if you want to do a project for just about anything, especially related to Whitman College or Walla Walla. The archives are there for you. Thanks for listening to the Whitman Wire podcast. We'll be back next week with a new episode.